So Money episode 1113, Mandy Woodruff Santos, executive producer and co-host of the Brown Ambition podcast. You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru, Farnoosh Torabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money. I finally was able to get back to work. And yeah, the world ended like two weeks after I got back. I think I I went back at the end of February and then it was kind of funny, jokey, jokey, water cooler talk. Oh, you heard about this uh, COVID-19 situation? And um, next thing I know, I'm right back at home, except it's maternity leave with a full-time job. What's it like for new moms going back to work after having a baby, but not really going back to work because you're still at home? Oh, and by the way, your baby's still there too. <laughs> Welcome to So Money, everybody. I'm Farnoosh Tarabi. One of my good friends, Mandy Woodruff, joins me today. She is the executive producer and co-host of the Brown Ambition podcast. I know a lot of us here are friends of that show. We are fans of that show, co-hosted by the budget nista, Tiffany Aliche. In addition to running that show with her friend, Tiffany Mandy is also Senior Content Director for LendingTree.com. It's an online marketplace where you can shop and compare everything from mortgages to personal loans. She's got more than a decade's worth of experience as a personal finance editor and reporter. And we go back, Mandy and I, we met, we crossed paths at Yahoo Finance, where I was hosting Financially Fit, and she was writing personal finance content. We hit it off real well, as two ambitious ladies would. And I wanted to bring her on the show today, one, to just catch up with my good friend, but also because I think she has some great wisdom to share to listeners around how to time manage, be productive, and think about work as a mom in this era of COVID-19. If you're working from home and overwhelmed and not sure how to make it all work, Mandy's there with you. She recorded this podcast from the basement while her 10-month-old took over the upstairs house. Very excited to bring the very real and raw conversation that I had with Mandy Woodruff. Here we go. Mandy Woodruff, my good friend. Welcome back to So Money. How are you? Oh, Lord. What a loaded question. Why did you start with the most? Where are you, by the way? I think you're in a basement I'm somewhere. I'm in a basement. Can you hear any banging? Because I do have, <laughs> I don't know if I can technically call him a toddler yet, but I have a very loud 10-month-old. Um, He's walking now, right? He can. I think he can, but he hasn't realized it yet. Yeah. Um, but he can certainly crawl and cr- and climb and knock a bunch of crap down. So uh, you might hear a little bit of destruction in the background. No worries. My son might burst in at any point and give me some financial advice. He's he's, he's known to do on the podcast. Um, Mandy, it's so good to hear your voice. Everyone in the audience, Mandy and I go back, way back to our days at Yahoo Finance. And a lot of you discovered me for the first time at Yahoo Finance. I'm sure your audience as well, Mandy. But Mandy and I were both financial journalists at Yahoo Finance. And we were both kind of at these points in our lives. It was great to know one another, I think, at the points that we did because, you know, it's pivotal times in your late 20s, early 30s. You're still figuring things out. And you were on the show, So Money, five years ago. before you got married, before you became a mom, before there was a recession and a pandemic. So fill me in and fill us all in to kind of catch us up how life has shifted for you and 
to bring this all back to money, one money lesson you've learned over the years as your plate's gotten fuller. Oh my goodness. Okay. Oh, that's so much. I, well, first of all, when I met you back at Yahoo, it was like you were on your way. You were moving on from Yahoo. I was coming in. I was very green. For me, Yahoo Finance was a huge career move. It was the time that I recognized I was a 2009 uh, graduate from college and I lost my first job after I moved to New York City and I ended up working, um, you know, kind of scrappy. It had to be very scrappy to get my first reporting job doing something that I actually wanted to do. And finally found a gig covering personal finance at Business Insider. And for me at that time, you know, I think for a lot of people who graduated in 09, you might have ended up taking a job you may not have wanted or you took a job you did want, in my case, but you weren't paid probably what you would have been paid had it not been an insane recession, right? And for me, I had spent a couple years at BI and I kind of had this epiphany, like I've asked for a raise, I've asked for equity, they've said no. If I need, and I realized I need to make up for lost time. Like I'm behind where I want to be in my earnings. So for me, it was, it was about pivoting and looking for another opportunity so I could increase my income. So that was my move to Yahoo. Um, which helped me get a, a big fat raise, but then also put me in a position, I think, for everything that came after. Um, so at the time, I was just really excited to to be able to grow and move. And um, yeah, and, and I remember looking at you, Noosh, and being like, yeah, that's I would love to. At the time, it just felt like you had been in the business for a long time. And you had it all figured out. You had you had your video series, and you were you also launched your podcast, So Money, right before we launched Brown Ambition. So it always felt like mm-hmm. Noosh was a few steps ahead, and I was so just you know it was a pleasure to just ride your coattails <laughs> like indirectly. You hear yeah. that, everybody? She calls me Noosh, which proves we are tight. I just tight. started to call you that because <laughs> I love it. I don't know if I have the privilege. <laughs> and then she called, she she just knew that that is the nickname that my family uses for me and my close friends. Um, so you got married. You have since moved on from Yahoo Finance. You host, as you mentioned, the Brown Ambition podcast. You have a big job as the senior content director for LendingTree.com, which has been around for a very long time. It's sort of the go-to marketplace to shop and compare everything from mortgages to personal loans. And you're married, you're a mom. What's the number one thing about money that you've learned or that you have reaffirmed perhaps over the last five years? Yeah, I was rambling, but I was going to get there. I was going to get there. I think I think what I'm getting <laughs> at is, and, this, and I will bring it back to, you know, watching you, Farnoosh, you know, how, how you sort of approached your career and how multifaceted it's been and how you diversified your income streams, you know, podcasts and you, you still, you know, do a lot of stuff with content and different brands and all of that. And I think the number one thing I learned for me uh, financially and also career-wise was that it doesn't have to just be one thing. And I I very much thrive when I have a couple of things, um, you know, on the uh, going at at once. I like to feel like I've got more than one trick up my sleeve. So while I have a job that I love managing content for Lending Tree. I still have my podcast and I'm working on a YouTube series too that'll be about investing in wealth building. And for me, it just feels good. And I found that it also, you know, and on top of bringing in like giving me the opportunity to bring in additional income by having these, you know, projects on the side, I, I also feel like it keeps me sharp and it keeps me free to like do other things when I want to do them and not have my entire identity 
um, aligned with a specific brand or company. And I, I, I definitely think my time at Yahoo was was important because I very much felt like I was I was people wanted me to just do one thing, which was to write. And I wanted mm-hmm. to produce videos and I wanted to try a podcast. And they were like, yeah, no, we're not going to let you do a podcast. But then as soon as I realized I could just do it my damn self, things got much better. You know, I pitched this idea of this podcast, although I pitched it as a video series to Yahoo. I was like, what if we talk to, you know, well-known people about money, people that don't normally discuss their finances because they're, you know, athletes or they're artists and they're like, just focus on what we're, <laughs> they're like, that's cute. That's a good idea. <laughs> Not to like dump on no, Yahoo, but I mean, it's, it definitely wasn't the place for an entrepreneurial no you know, person to thrive, I feel like. Right. But then now at Lending Tree, that's generous of them. It is unusual for an employer to promote uh, or to encourage employees to have external activities. I think the fear sometimes as the employer is that you're going to leave, which to be honest, happens, you know, because you mm-hmm. realize like this thing over here that you're doing on the side is growing and taking on a new life and you want to pursue that. Uh, so that, how do yeah. you negotiate that at work? Well, I didn't ask for permission. That was the first step. <laughs> well, I mean, the podcast has always been my thing. I, I owned it and think, and I'm sure you feel the same way. Thank God we didn't, you know, launch it with a brand that would have owned all the intellectual property and would have owned the trademark and would have owned the content itself. Um, I think a lot about one of my favorite shows, Another Round, which was a really popular podcast launched by BuzzFeed. And I mean, they they blew up. They interviewed Hillary Rodden Clinton. They, you know, they they were big. And BuzzFeed, they decided to shut it down and they couldn't do anything, those two co-hosts. And anyhow, I um so ownership's really important to me. And I, you know, when you own it yourself, as long as there's not like a true conflict, you know, it's not like I'm on my podcast talking about like different lenders all the time. Um, But I also think, you know, especially as someone who hires lots of people and has a team, I care a lot about people thriving Mm -hmm. and doing what they need to feel happy. And I think if you're, if you're a very secure and as a leader, then you wouldn't be threatened by, you know, someone on your team having an extracurricular Mm -hmm. if it makes them happy and makes them more you know, motivated to come to work each day. And certainly for me, autonomy and, you know, as long as I'm doing a good job, if I'm doing, you know, things in my free time that, you know, also have, you know, have synergy with what I'm doing during my day job, that's, that's all beautiful. Um, And, but yeah, as far as like how to, how to like navigate that, especially if you're someone in the finance world and you want to launch a podcast or, you know, be it a YouTube channel or whatever. And it had, I would say if the topics are very similar to what you cover, um, you know, during your day job, you, you might want to at least let HR know and give them a heads up. Um, I think that is the professional way yeah. to do it. Cover your bases. Uh, cover your bases. Yeah. I want to dive into Brown Ambition Podcast, which you co-host with Tiffany Aliche, who is also known as the Budget Nista. But ahead of that, as a new mom, you mentioned your son is just 10 months old. I'm just curious how... And, you know, I find it interesting that you become a mom and your work does not slow down. It You're taking on a lot of more responsibility. Uh, what has yeah. motherhood taught you about how to be more 
efficient with work. There are a lot of people who don't think that motherhood unlocks your ability to become, to supercharge your career. In fact, they think it's the opposite. Uh, yeah. There's evidence of that, right? So what's, you're, you're, you're bucking that myth and that trend. What's working? I don't know that I intended for it to be this way, but I think I spent the year before I had my kid really just, I could not see past the day I gave birth. I just, it was like a big black, I I even went into therapy and I was like, I just don't know what, it just looks like a big black void to me. Like, what is life after this child comes? And, you know, after I finally had my baby, uh, it was the winter, it was flu season already, even before it became, you know, COVID times, I was already like hyper anxious about, you know, the baby getting sick and I was isolating myself. And I just really hated maternity leave, y'all. I just did not enjoy it. Um, it was, it was hard. It was hard to, um, what was hard for me was that, that feeling of not being productive, quote unquote. And for me, I just didn't realize how much of my identity was, was tied up in producing work and being, mm-hmm. bringing value to a team and, and all that. And I, and I found I really missed it. And, uh, I finally was able to get back to work and yeah, the world ended like two weeks after I got back. I think I, I went back at the end of February and then it was kind of funny, jokey, jokey, water cooler talk. Oh, you heard about this, uh, COVID-19 situation. And, um, next thing I know I'm right back at home, except it's maternity leave with a full-time job essentially. Um, and I don't know, I, I felt that, I felt like that I was so excited to get back to work. And I was also, I feel like the pandemic put everyone on the same playing field. Um, and I, mm-hmm. and I can definitely see how a new mom goes back and she feels like she's missed something. You know, there's, a, there's been changes and operations or duties have been shifted and you feel like, you know, you have to get caught back up, but the pandemic threw everyone on their asses and we were all trying to figure it out. Nothing was the same for anybody. Um, and I really like, I really love that challenge to come back and sink my teeth into, okay, how do I, you know, transition my team to fully remote working, you know, what kind of, and we're also, we, we write personal finance content and there's, there's, I mean, people's personal finances were almost, it's everything right now, that content, money, people want uh, and need that kind of information. So there was a real sense of duty. Like I felt, okay, mm -hmm. this is my job to help people get educated what a privilege we get to come to work and hey, we still have jobs. So I've just really tried to focus on the positives and I love, I, I, and it's just, and I don't know if it's the motherhood or the pandemic or what, but I feel this huge surge of energy. Like a calling. Yeah, like a calling and, and I'm, I, I, I and I don't want to sugarcoat it. Like, I mean, I, I dealt with Lots of postpartum. I mean, you're anxiety. in a basement right now recording. Let's remember. <laughs> yeah. It's been hard as hell. Um, it, it was, it, I really had to learn how to ask for help. I mean, we hadn't, I have been editing our podcast since day one through maternity leave through, you know, I think, I don't even think we finally hired our editor until after the pandemic hit. So it took a pandemic and a baby mm-hmm. for me to finally be like, yeah, maybe someone else can edit the show. Okay. Um, mm-hmm. And, and from there, you know, just kind of learning you know, how to ask for more help. Um, yeah, it's been really freaking hard, but I, I just have this sense of optimism, which is so weird. And I'm sure people are like, what do you mean the world's on fire? But, uh, (laughs) I just, I, I choose optimism. I, I, I really do. 
You know, speaking of optimism, the summer was a season of mixed emotions for everybody. And I'm I'm sure you, as a woman of color, to watch the news and to see this reigniting of the Black Lives Matter movement. Mm -hmm. What, when you were on your show, Brown Ambition podcast, when you were, when you were deciding on topics and discussions, what were the reactions to everything you were experiencing and seeing? So that's the first question. What was sort of the, the takeaways that you were discussing on the show mainly? And the second part of that question is, where do you think the intersection is when it comes to personal finance and race and politics? Because you know, I'm sure you've heard that there's some people in our community that feel like it's important to keep those two topics separate. Mm. Uh, that that you know you don't want to alienate people by talking about politics or race when you're talking about money. I have a different opinion on that. So that's so we'll save that question for later. But first, what were some of the reactions that you and guests were having on Brown Ambition podcast this summer? Yeah, I mean, so much of Brown Ambition. We do have some guests, but mostly Tiffany and I are chatting about what's happening in the world. And I remember, you know, after George Floyd's passing and then the resurgence of news around Breonna Taylor, even though I believe Breonna Taylor was murdered prior to George Floyd, her story took on a new life after his murder. Um, And I remember Tiffany and I just, just sitting on the air, just listening to the, just listening to the static. Um, And, and, and especially Tiffany, um, we, we, we vented, we talked about our feelings because it felt, it felt fake to not talk about it. Um, you know, our show is called Brown Ambition. And I remember when we first launched it, um, there were naysayers who said we'd been alienating our audience. And like, why do you want to create a show that automatically would, um, you know, based on, you know, someone could look at the title who's not brown and think it's not for them. And I, I really, I don't think I had the words at the time, but I, I was like, why wouldn't we, why wouldn't we acknowledge the beauty and the power of brown ambition? We are black and brown women, Tiffany women. Tiffany is, was, you know, her parents are immigrants from Nigeria. Um, my dad is black. I'm from a multiracial family. Like we, in, in our race, I think we both acknowledged had, you, you, we, we didn't have the privilege of separating our race from our, our journeys in finance and, and, um, and our careers. Like we just, we just didn't. So for us, the show and naming it Brown Ambition was really an acknowledgement of the special kind of ambition that you have to have by virtue of your race in this country. Um, and I, I certainly think this summer, although we struggled to take our, there's just no taking your emotions out of it. It was a really, um, and it continues to be an agonizing uh, summer and into fall now of the lack of justice for these black people who've been murdered. The What what I like to think of though, and, and, and sort of how we grounded ourselves, um, you know, over the summer with all this news coming out and the, and, the, and the rise of social unrest and protest is that people seem to really be interested in hearing from us and what we had to say. And people came to our show. We got lots of new listeners who weren't black and brown. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. it felt like, oh, you know, there had been this unwritten rule. Um, it seemed that talking about race and finance, like people didn't really have an appetite for it. They, they, it made them uncomfortable. And I think that's because it's uncomfortable to think that your own as a, you know, as a non person of color, that your wealth and your success might have something 
to do, like, it might not have to do with something that you've done. It might have to do in part with the privileges you've been granted by your skin tone and people are uncomfortable. Like they don't want to recognize, Oh, Hey, maybe I got a little lucky in the lottery of, you know, skin tones here, but they, there's, there's now a a willingness to hear. And Tiffany and I were like, let's take advantage of this. We're going to talk about all day, every day, how race impacts (laughs) financial success. And while people are willing to listen to it and, and there's a, yeah, there's a uh, acceptance of it. I think some of the discomfort uh, when you hear about people who have privilege and have achieved financial success, uh, well, you know, let's acknowledge that you know your your white skin may have made it a little bit easier for you, or the fact that you had educated parents who taught you about money and you had um, a warm bed and food on the table every night. Like these seem to be things that we take for granted, but are instrumental in how we end up as adults in so many realms, but, and including our financial lives. And so I've lost listeners because I've decided that I, I, it's for me, it's not about politics or taking sides. It's about sharing more of the truth, mm-hmm. right? So there's, there's, there's a story and then there's the bigger story and there's the closer story. And I think that's what we're getting at, you know, where previously maybe I would let a guest come on and say, you know, well, I just worked hard and pulled myself up by my bootstraps and I would just go on to the next question. Well, now we're not going to the next question. I want to know mm. <laughs> more specifics. Um, I just had a guest on the show uh, recently who is um, the host of Popcorn Finance. Chris. Um, and Chris, right, Chris. And he said something sort of like in passing, but it completely woke me up where I, we were talking about how, you know, a lot of people are moving in this pandemic for various reasons. And, uh, had, I asked if his family had considered leaving Los Angeles because, you know, they've got the pandemic, but they've also, at the time, they had the fires. He was like, you know, that's an interesting question. My wife and I have discussed it, but for us, it's, it's not so simple to just pick up and leave and go somewhere where we we think might be a little bit more, you know, quote unquote, fun or exciting because we're black and we need to be uh, like doubly sure that where we're going, we're going to be welcome, that we're not going to be threatened, um, that, you know, we're going to feel safe. And that gave me goosebumps because I felt so ignorant at that point in time where I was like, you know, all this time we're talking about people moving and how where you live sometimes determines your ability to like retire early. And that's a privilege. You just sort of be like, today I'm going to move to Denver, you know, because that's where the cost of living is lower than New York City. And there's so many considerations you have to make. And people of color have to make an additional consideration that white people don't always have to, which is if I go here, will I feel safe? Yeah. When you're not part of the mainstream, when you're not part of what the mainstream considers normal and the norm, it's scary. And especially, I think that's, I share his perspective, uh, you know, as a mom, I, I chose, we, we, we bought a house. A lot has happened. As you mentioned, married, bought a house, had a baby since the last time we spoke um, on the podcast anyway. And when we chose the neighborhood where we were going to buy a house, I, I, I really wanted to be sure that it was going to be in a multi- uh, ethnic multiracial area where a little boy like mine, who's half Dominican, what is he? I can't even get the percentages right. He's half Dominican, a quarter white, a quarter black, who knows what else is mixed in there um, from both of our backgrounds. And where someone with his name, Rio Francisco Santos, would not be 
wouldn't, wouldn't be held back because he wouldn't be the only one. And we were very lucky to find this little pocket, our little neighborhood um, in the suburbs outside of Manhattan, where you don't typically think, I think it has a, there's a stigma attached to the suburbs where it's, you know, it tends to be wealthier and whiter. But we found this neighborhood that is like majority minority in the suburbs, amazing school district, and we could afford a house here. And, you know, it wasn't until um, this summer when uh, it was Tiffany, actually, my podcast co-host who was talking about, and I know she's been on your show and talked about it, too, um, about how she had her home appraised uh, in New Jersey where she lives. And it came in a lot lower than she expected. And then there was a viral story of a woman, a black woman whose home appraisal came in very low until she took out all the, you know, black uh, memorabilia around the house, the, 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 you know, thing, photographs, photographs and portraits of artists and books by black writers, things like that. And then she let her white husband be home for the appraiser and how they had a, a crazy difference, um, in appraisal values. And then I, I started to look at my neighborhood, you know, we bought this house from a black couple and I could tell because they didn't take down their photos. They, they, they didn't take down, you know, little, um, little winks. It felt like me a little wink and a hug every time I looked in a room and I saw something that was like a beautiful black <laughs> family lived here. And to me, I was like, yes. Um, but anyway, the values of homes in our neighborhood are way lower than other neighborhoods. And I'm looking at our neighborhood and I'm like, shit, like this is why we could afford a house. Cause this neighborhood's undervalued, like amazing school district, really nice homes, amazing people. And I'm starting to see even now how, you know, you know, and I hope that this changes for the better, but the family who we bought this home from, I start thinking like, well, they're, this was their nest egg. They were off to retire. They lived a, you know, middle-class, middle-class life. They, they did everything right, got a home in this neighborhood 30 years ago. And, and it felt like it really feels like this area is undervalued because it happens to be majority minority. Um, I, I really hope that that changes, but I, I, I think about that now too. And I'm just like, uh, okay, it's in my mm-hmm. own backyard. Yeah. A lot of deeper thinking going on. Uh, and, and so question everything. Yeah. And, and so as an editor, as a financial journalist, what do you think are the topics, questions, stories that going forward are going to matter a lot more than maybe they used to, or they're new or they're being discovered you know, because of, of the way that the world is shifting. Um, Mm -hmm. what are you curious about these days? Well, I think there's a lot of surveys, you know, our, our company, especially our content team, we love good research. We love to look at data and tell stories with that data about people's personal finances. And I didn't, you know, and I don't directly manage the team that creates those studies and surveys, but I'll pop into a, a brainstorm every now and then, And I was surprised recently that I had to be the one to say, hey, could we ask people what their race is so we can break this down by by demographic, by race? Um, And they hadn't considered it. And I think and I hope that people will like the the discomfort around talking about race has kind of gone away. And I, I feel there's a real importance to if you're in a position where you are going to try to tell the story of American households and how they are approaching their finances or how they're experiencing this this reset, this, what are we calling it now? This depression, almost this pandemic, um, that we do look at how black and brown families are faring in relation to white families and white households. That to me is really, really important. Not just, you know, not just overall, how have, how have people, you know, responded financially, but 
how has that how how has the impact been unequal um, across demographics? And beyond that, like, I mean, my dad, my dad lost his job um, back in March. He was a uh, he was a bus driver for the city transit in Atlanta, Georgia, where I'm from. And he hasn't had a job since. And he's I mean, his unemployment check, my brother and I were just talking about it. His unemployment check is barely enough to cover his mortgage. And my brother and I are talking about like, we're really worried about dad. Um, and the stimulus check situation, you know, he got not not even the stimulus check, that extra 600 bucks the CARES Act had given to unemployed people that expired at the end of July. We don't I mean, he he doesn't have very much more savings to burn through. And I, I really I, I we need to I think if you're in, in the content world, continue to put pressure on and ask questions of elected officials to find out what they're doing about it. It's insane to me that nothing else has been done. That one that one package, that one stimulus package went out months and months ago and people are really struggling. I know. And you it's so frustrating. Don't you and didn't you isn't it frustrating when you see when you hear people like say, Oh, why didn't you have a rainy day fund? You know, why didn't you prepare better for Our this? Our country doesn't have a rainy day fund. Right? Businesses don't have rainy day funds. Don't don't blame the hardworking bus drivers of America why they don't have rainy day funds. Like the, that's not that's not the source of the problem. As a culture, we don't we don't um, prioritize savings. Yeah, you know, and we're a country that's run on credit. Yeah, we love debt. We love to. Well, I mean, but like with this, with the with the stimulus bill, it was insane to me. And there was a trillion dollars, however much it cost. And it's just like, oh, we just found that money. Like, we're just going to do it. OK, cool. So it sounds like we can just do whatever we want and make the money happen. So why can't we do it again to save people's like well-beings causing? I mean, mm-hmm. in the mental health toll, you know, all everything intersection of everything right now, mental health and and race and finance and the economy. It's all connected. And. Like there's so much anxiety happening in these households who who just don't know. There's no certainty for them, you know, looking ahead. And um, I'm really passionate about that. And I people need help. You know, we get we get questions to our podcast from from people who are just like, what do I do? There's no money coming in. I'm barely making ends meet. Where can I go? Um, and and people are really in dire straits. And 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 I and I really hope that. Um, we, the people, I genuinely feel like we, the people, need to use our vote, use our voices, call your elected officials and demand help. Because um, this is, we have the power. We have the power, I think, to create change. But we have to use, we have to use, we have to keep our agency and, and keep our optimism that there can be change um, or else nothing will get done. Well, I'm going to end on that. Uh, reminder to everybody to vote. Please vote. And Please. But keep voting, um, but not just November 3rd, but like every other little tiny election. Every election. Every election, mm-hmm. always vote, please. It's your civic duty. And now more than ever, it counts like your life. Well, like your life depends on it. And not just your life, but your children's lives, your grandparents' lives. Thanks for that reminder, Mandy. Anytime. <laughs> Thanks for letting me rant about it. We need all the reminders and reinforcements. Absolutely. I so appreciate you. And I'll let you get back to your adorable family. Thanks for catching us up and for all the great, important work you're, you're putting out in the world. And um, I'll see you on the other side of the election. I'll see you. Thanks, Noosh, for having me. 
Thanks so much to Mandy for joining me. Her podcast, again, is Brown Ambition Podcast, named one of the best financial podcasts of 2020 by Business Insider and nominated this year for a Plutus Award for the best podcast. All this information is on the So Money Podcast website, somoneypodcast.com. You can also follow me on Instagram at Farnoosh Tarabi. Hope you're off to a great week and I hope your day is so money. 